Uh, this morning, we're going to conclude a series which we've been doing for the last couple months, um, talking about work and how to think about our work from, from a spiritual perspective. And it's been a, a great joy of mine to just think about having some of our members tell their stories about their, their jobs and their careers. And it's been really like God thing type moments. I feel like when almost every time it's like, well, some, something they said was so relevant to what I'm talking about uh, today. And as we conclude that, we wanted to hear from our friend Johan, uh, who is going to share uh, right now. Here's Johan. If you don't know Johan, he and his uh, wife Link have been part of our church for the last year and a half. I think this is on. It is, yes. It yeah, is. There, there we go. If you could come kind of to the middle, we got to stay on camera. This is a little yeah. closer than we normally would be maybe, but uh, it's all good. Um, so t- talk about what it is that, that you do, Johan. Yes, yeah, so I'm here. I'm working as what is called the structure biology, which means uh, it's the biology of the cell, but on the detail level, we're looking at atom by atom how, the, how things function within the cell. So before I was working with HIV virus, for instance, and when you're doing the drug against it, you need to see how the atoms are and how the drug binds and so on, these kind of things. And in Sweden, I was working with X-ray technology, and here I'm here to learn about electron microscopy. More or less. So yeah, real easy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's like that. I can tell you more later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically, you worked on COVID for a while, right? Uh, our lab does. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm working a little bit, but not too much. But our lab does. I'm helping with some stuff. Yeah. How do you see science and faith in, in relation? And how, how have you seen that kind of within your workplace among scientists? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because when I was a teenager, this was a question for me, this thing with Darwin, evolution, and, and, uh, and the Christian faith, and so on. And it was also in my church in Sweden at that, that time, a big thing. You could really believe in science. And uh, I don't think it's anymore uh, the case. But in, by, among scientists, I think it's still the case that some people think you can't really be Christian. There's just no proof for that. And uh, it's so unnecessary. So this, I, when I was a teenager, I thought, that, yeah, I want to be a scientist who is actually Christian. And that works for me. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure that's... I mean, do you, do you run across many Christians in, in your field? Or no? There are some Christians, uh, yeah. So it's not that strange. If you're a Christian, it's not that strange to be a scientist, uh, really. But if you don't believe, of course, then you can find all kind of reasons why you shouldn't believe, why you should not be Christians. I, I understand it, it looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. But, but the thing is, but that's part of the thing. Now I see myself as a, I want to be representative at my place among those people who work in there with Christian faith. And I mean, if sometimes I get opportunity to talk to people, and like in the... COVID here, I, was, I got a ride with a, with a colleague in the car and we started talking about a lot of things and uh, then we started talking about death and I mentioned that, yeah, my dad actually knew what's going to happen to my mom and these kind of things that just come from God. And sometimes you get these opportunities, not often, but it happens. And, uh, and also, I think the people know, one colleague came to me, I didn't say anything, we were just standing there at the airport and she said, yeah, I'm not going to be Christian, That's, I've decided I'm not going to be Christian. Okay, I really didn't <laughs> mention so, <laughs> people know somehow. People know somehow that you're uh, that you're believing, and I think that's so. We can be. We have a testimony to share. I think that's. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And how, how do you see your your faith interacting with your your day to day, your job, like kind of working at the cellular level? How do you see that? Yeah. I mean, uh, now it's COVID. We don't talk so much, but <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I like to share experiences. I really like to, to talk to people about, yeah, I'm believing. Sometimes you mention I'm believing, you're not believing, why not? And these kind of things, you can talk. I think that's really interesting to share your different perspective of life. And, and I think it, it matters. Yes, sometimes I, I, I go to church and I tell people, why? 
Why to go to church? This is so weird. And already this is a big thing for some people, you know. Um, apart from that, I think there's, sometimes we have this conflict, you know, when people want to cheat a little bit in what I think is cheating, and I, I don't want to do that. And then, I don't know, then you have an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so there can be a problem sometimes with Christians when you don't want to do things and, and say, yeah, but this doesn't really matter so much. And, but yeah, but I, I want to believe in justice and so on. Mm, awesome. Yeah, well, and I, I've been so blessed to, to get to, to get to know both of you, and I, I remember this, the story about when you were coming to the States, and you and Linka were in a small group Bible study together, and she was like, oh, I'm going to miss you if you go. So that's kind of what, what got you guys together. So um, I always, uh, I, I, think, I think about that, but seriously, like how work changes, it can change directions, and maybe it, it wouldn't have happened without you leaving, but yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, that was very interesting, yeah. I didn't expect it. <laughs> I mean, I was really standing, just being prepared to leave, and then he just came and hugged me for a very long time, and I thought, okay, this is something, we need to do it. <laughs> we need to do something about this. I didn't expect it at all, so yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing, Johan. You're such a blessing to me. And like I said, it's been really interesting to hear the different perspectives and people sharing about the work that they do, because it matters. But as we are concluding this series this morning, uh, where I have probably said work a hundred times in the last couple months, uh, I, I wanted to, to give us a moment to think about how ultimately, um, if, if we are Christians, grace defines us. And that's super important because I'm not a pastor. I'm a child of God defined by God's grace, who for this season of my life, is working as a pastor. And that season might go for a really long time. It, it might go forever. I don't really know. But it's important for us, I think, to have that, that order in perspective. Because I know for me, and perhaps it's true of you, one of the ways that I can let my anxiety get the best of me is when I have that out of order. When I am thinking primarily as like, oh, you know, what, what about the church or what, is, what does this mean? And COVID has been a, a super humbling time, I think, for, for all pastors as far as like what we traditionally thought of, it, was, it just completely changed. And it, it was different. And there was an entire year where we didn't gather together and I was generally preaching to one person behind a camera. And it was a moment where like everything changed about my work. And I know yours probably did as well. And so I hope that as we, we move from this time, we try to think of ourselves first because it's easy for me. As I mentioned uh, last week, I've been here in, in November. I've been here for 14 years in ministry, which I'm, I'm super thankful for. This church I was started in somebody's home in the mid-1920s. And I am the longest tenured minister here by about five years now. I passed this guy named George Harper um, a few years ago. And I'm super thankful, but it's easy for me then to start making that the core of my identity. And I sometimes need to step back and remember that I am a child of, of God's grace. And then that is where my identity flows. And it's not in that. I think we all need to think about that for a while. There's a book about workism. The author defines it as workism. And and he says this about this, this idea of workism. He says, workism is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life purpose. Work is morphed into a religious identity, a promising transcendence and community, but failing to deliver. And I think that this author, Thompson, is right. Oftentimes we are putting our identity in our work and it truly becomes 
our religion, the way that, that we see things, especially in the U.S. Uh, my uh, sister and her husband live in Switzerland, and they say it's fascinating to be in Europe, where Europe, like, shuts down for the summer, basically. <laughs> like, people just, like, the July and August, basically, everyone just travels. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's not everybody, but, like, generally, just things shut down. People are just, they're gone, and they take what sounds um, European, a holiday. You know, they, 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 they just take, oh, this, this business is closed for two months. And I, I think we can, we can learn from that perspective a little bit of finding some ways to, to say, like, my, my work, my, my business, and the way people respond to it is not my identity. That I am a, a, a son, a, a daughter of God, who for this season happens to be working in, in this place or that one. And it is the grace of God that defines me. I love how Paul says this in Ephesians. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. We are defined by the grace of God. Imagine if we could just get that. And when we go to work, when we have relationships, imagine if we could think like this, this is going to be like where I start in any relationship, in, in work or otherwise, this is where I start. I am advancing God's kingdom because like I know that through my works, I'm never going to feel justified. It's never going to be enough. I think of two characters in scripture who I think are supposed to be really negative examples for us, especially those of us who regularly are, are uh, part of, of faith communities. I think of the, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Jesus is, is teaching to this crowd. He begins by saying that there's this mix of sinners and tax collectors who are there, and then there's also religious people. And he, he speaks, I think, a word that really deeply impacts uh, both groups of people. He tells three stories about some lost things and how eventually they're found. And the last one is perhaps the most um, famous story in the New Testament, the story of the prodigal son, where a son goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance, which is just saying, you know, you are, are better off dead to me. And he goes and he extravagantly uses it and wastes it. And he finds himself... Um, working as a servant, and he is longing after what the pigs are eating. And what that passage is trying to tell you, Jesus would have been speaking to a, a Jewish audience, maybe Gentiles as well, but primarily a Jewish audience. And what he's, he's saying right there is, this is the lowest of the low, right? And if you know anything about being a Jew, it's likely that you don't eat pork, right? That is like one of, if you know anything about it, like that, that is a, a core belief. And this guy, he has wasted everything and he finds himself longing after what the pigs are eating. So it's just like alert, alert, alert. This is as low as you can possibly go. And just, just an aside uh, on that. And I try not too often to tell too many stories about my kids because I think it's kind of lazy preaching. Um, but um, I, this week, I, just, I have to say, and, and I, I've told my kids that if I tell a story about them, they get five bucks to keep me a little honest um, in that. So Carter gets five bucks today. Uh, congratulations. Because it's just like important to talk about. Because on Thursday night, uh, we were eating bacon as a family. And he just declares to the family after having it hundreds of times, I no longer like bacon. 
again. And he needs to repent of that and, and move forward. He actually literally said, the bacon is too crispy. And I'm like, how is that? Po-? Like, come on, like, you eat, we, eat, we eat bacon in this family because that is one thing that Jesus has brought us, forgiveness and grace and, and bacon. Like, we, we need to do that. So if we could, you know, pull Carter aside and, and uh, fix that up, that, that would be great. And so this guy, he's wasted everything, and he just finds himself like longing, not even to eat the bacon, but just eat what the pigs are eating. This is the lowest of the low. And he says, you know what? It's better if I am in my, my father's household as a servant than in this moment. And he goes back, and his father sees him off in the distance, and he runs up to him, and he puts the family ring on his finger, puts a robe around him, and doesn't like put him into the role that he's expecting, that perhaps he has to earn back this, this love immediately. He's welcomed back as a son. And they throw this huge party, and everybody's happy about it, except the older brother. He's been working out in the field like he always did, and as he walks in, and he's like, why is that cool in the gang doing a sound check? <laughs> he asks this servant of his father's house, and they, hey, it's so exciting, your brother who is gone, he's now back. And he's not excited about that. He's not pumped. This isn't good news to him. He's upset. This is a word that Jesus has for religious people. Because God's grace is bigger than our own desires. God's grace is bigger than, you know, what we might expect or the lines that we might draw. Those of us who have, you know, been at it for a while, working for God for a while, we need to recognize that, that God's grace is bigger than we might expect. A similar character in the Old Testament, again, these are presented, I think, as some of the, the big villains of, of the scriptures, is Jonah, who is called to Nineveh. And Nineveh has been um, the, a place that is notoriously evil, not just to the Jews, but um, we're, we're really just terrible people uh, traditionally. And Jonah receives this call to go to Nineveh, and he literally is like, I'm out, and goes as far in that known world as possible in the opposite direction. He goes to a place called Tarshish, where he's attempting to get there. And as you would, would read that story, if you were reading it like in that context, um, it would have been about like him just saying, no, 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 I'm not interested in that. I'm not signing up for that. I'm out. And so he tries to go uh, to Nineveh, and, or tries to go to Tarshish, completely in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he has a huge storm that comes up. He's like, all right, I think I'm pro- part of the problem here. Throw me over the boat. He gets eaten by a fish thing. Uh, it doesn't actually say um, whale. Um, it's just a fi- large fish thing uh, in the Hebrew. It's a little bit vague. He gets vomited onto the land, which is one of the best verses in scripture. And then um, he, he preaches to the Ninevites, but it is like the worst sermon. He's presented as like the worst um, presenter of the gospel in human history, which basically he just says, turn or burn, which ironically is kind of the message sometimes of the evangelical church today in general. Like, they, 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 that, but like, we're not supposed to be following Jonah on that. Like, that, that is not, like, this isn't like, he isn't like a model for us. Like, the, the, oftentimes, I think sometimes people can feel that, that turn or burn mentality. And to Jonah's dismay, 
Everybody gets excited about this. This is a horrible sermon. It's only four words long in Hebrew. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, we all have to turn around. And even the animals are getting baptized. Like it's this unbelievable scene. And Jonah, instead of having his heart turned around by this moment, instead of saying, wow, I'm the best missionary ever, Jonah's mad about it. Because he doesn't want these people to experience God's grace. He doesn't want them to participate. And so he sits outside the city mad at God. And just like the story with the older brother, we get to the end of the prodigal son, and we don't know what the older brother does. Jonah complains, and it ends. It's, it's really interesting um, that it just basically ends like just with this question, Jonah, like you don't know what he does. And again, it's something for us to follow Christ as best we can with our lives to think about, okay, what is it that I would do? What, what do I do in that moment? Do I continue to, to practice the grace of God and think about it as, as the core of my identity? And then do I extend it to others? Because grace is comforting, but it's not comfortable. It puts us into different sort of circumstances and things that, that we wouldn't expect. I love how the, the uh, older brother in the prodigal son story, he, he tells on himself a bit. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property, again, not, not Brother, when this son of yours has squandered his property, your property with, with prostitutes, among other things, when he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And this, I believe, in the story, it breaks the father's heart. And he, I think, says, is that what, it, is that what this was for you? You've been with me this, this whole time. It's possible to be around the things of God and so far from the heart of God. It's possible to, to see something miraculous like, wow, my, my brother has come home. He was off in, in this faraway place and now he's receiving this unbelievably extravagant grace. It's possible to be around the things of God and not of the things of God. Jonah says something similar as he's upset about this, this miraculous turning. He prayed, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better to me to die than live. I mean, this is how this dramatic turnaround has happened. And, and he sits outside the city. I, I love what Anne Lamott says about Jonah, which is a great summary. Uh, she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> Like when God is just angry and upset and, and, and uncomfortable and, and mad at all the same people that, that you are, you have, have created God in your own image. And we constantly need to repent of that. I constantly need to repent of that. Because again, these are characters that are presented as religious people, as they are called by God. And it's just so easy to be around the things of God and not of the things of God. 
We are defined by grace, and that, that changes us. It changes things. But oftentimes, I don't know that we're coming from that perspective. There's a, a show uh, that uh, for many years has been super popular in China. Uh, it's popular for millionaires to go and move to Vancouver, Canada. It's a very expensive place to live. And for Chinese millionaires to go into that area and to live there. And so people watch it and watch these millionaires. And it's like maybe Jersey Shore or something like that. You know, we have these characters who like in reality, like we're, we're watching it and we're like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't believe how um, out of touch with reality they are. I can't believe that. And that Chinese actually came up with a word uh, for hate watching because people are watching it, not because they actually enjoy the story, but because, oh, I just can't believe it. And, you know, people are just like making fun of it and talking trash about these people. And I mean, we do a lot. We do that from time to time, right? It's easy for us to have these things that we are watching. I can't believe those people. It's easy to, to stand back and, and just critique things and just live from, from this moment of like, I, I'm like above all of this or, you know, I'm, I'm not participating. I'm just going to sit back from my couch and, and, you know, talk it down. Just this morning, uh, my, my sister-in-law sent uh, this, this awesome story about a guy who was apparently watching the U.S. Open and he's a, a Seahawks fan and he tweeted at the U.S. Open, um, not a sport. Or he, he tweeted at SportsCenter who was talking about the U.S. Open, not a sport. And the U.S. Open replied, not a sport, says the person about to watch 17 games of Drew Locke at quarterback. Um, <laughs> you don't know who that is. It's a pretty rough quarterback in, in the NFL. I think it's just like yeah, these things that people just, you know, it's easy to just sit back. Like, who can watch tennis and say that's not a sport? Go try to play tennis. I mean, come on. Like, it's definitely a sport. And it's just easy to, to sit, sit, from, sit from your couch and critique any and everything and just feel like you are, are somehow above instead of Every moment of your life, thinking of it as, as a gift of God's grace. And that then informs like, how you live and the people you, you spend time with and the people that, that you would assume perhaps that you would have lines that you would draw. Like God is constantly calling us to, to refresh our own minds, to think about our own faith and, and to think about how that affects how we move forward. I always think of, of the writings of, of Paul and the ways that I think um, there, there are ways that we, we see him uh, maturing a bit and how, how he understands um, himself. Because when he is first writing letters to, to some of the churches and there are times that he does this, he is defending himself a little bit and saying like, well, here's, here's what I did. Here's, here's what happened. And here's like how, how this went. And you see this grow over time. So in the book of Corinthians, it's one of his earlier letters. Um, he says, for I'm the least of the apostle and did not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he says this and like, okay, so I'm, I'm the least of the apostles, but at least I'm in the group, right? Like I'm, I'm in, I'm in the group. Like I'm not like all that important or as, as important as some of the other ones, because, you know, I did this like really bad thing that I really don't like to talk about, but I like, I, I I'm not going to lead with that, but like I'm at least in the mix. And then a few years later, he writes to a church in Ephesus, although I'm the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So yeah, I'm not even talking about the apostles at this point, but within the church, I'm in, I'm in the mix, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the least, I'm, I'm there on Sunday, you know, barely making it, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the mix at least. And later, 
to Timothy, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I believe that coming into deeper knowledge of, of God is, is a humbling journey. And it's about a growing awareness of how we constantly need the grace of God. That is a, our fuel for life. And it isn't just, you know, thinking terrible thoughts about yourself, but constantly recognizing that, you know, when, when we gather together, we share communion, like Christ's body and blood was, was shed and broken for us because we need it. Like, we need this grace. I need this grace. It's an active thing that I rely on. And I just think that's so interesting to, to go from, you know, I'm the least of the apostles, but at least I'm an apostle. To Like, I am the worst of all sinners. And that isn't just, you know, thinking down about yourself or thinking terrible thoughts, but just recognizing that we are, are in need of God's active grace in our lives. And that changes not only how we see us, but then how we interact. I love how Jim shared over communion. Just the idea, this is, this is important and it matters. And it's something that I, I really appreciate that we get to share in communion. That's part of our church tradition that we share in, in communion every single week because I think that that is the, the most important thing that we do. But I hope that we never just take it for granted. That we don't just walk away unchanged. We don't have a moment to think about, okay, like where, where is it that I perhaps need to say sorry to somebody? Or I need to confess to somebody. Because I need this grace and it changes us from, from the inside out to be the, the type of person that Christ encourages us to be, to, to be a person who, who shares in forgiveness and who's excited when prodigals come home and when Ninevites and all their animals are baptized. <laughs> when, they were, when these moments happen, because grace isn't just about being comfortable. It's about us transforming our own hearts and our lives. There was a professor at, at Wheaton College who was teaching a, a social justice class, and uh, she recognized that it often led to some intense discussions because people had assumptions about what social justice was and what it looked like in, in their university and in their, in their lives. And so people had, had strong opinions about these things. And what she ended up doing after several years of having some very intense discussions within her classroom, she decided to have these conversations in her home. And she started at the beginning of these discussions in her home by encouraging the members of the entire class to share in communion together. And she said that dramatically changed the conversations because everybody had like a, a tangible reminder right from the very get-go.
And I think we all need that. One of the reasons that we come together is we recognize our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world isn't just like outside of us. The line of good and evil isn't just running out there. You know, we like to think of ourselves as on the good side. The line of good and evil runs through all of us. You know, we've, we've all done things that we need to repent of. May we learn to be those who constantly define ourselves from the grace of God. Because oftentimes when we're introducing ourselves, one of the first things that'll come up will be our name and our work. I and mean, that's what we do. We often think of ourselves in, in that way. And oftentimes, I think we are, are trying to find something from our work that we're not supposed to find. Like I said, I'm not a pastor. I'm the child of God that during this season is blessed to be a pastor. You just think about that for, for yourself, wherever you are in, in your work right now, whether you're, you're retired or whatever it is that you, can you just say to yourself for a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm not, whatever it is, you don't have to say it out loud, but I'm not this. I'm a child of God who happens to do this for right now. And God's grace and love changes us so then we can change the world. Especially at a time that's very polarizing and divided. I get perhaps maybe more important than ever for us to model the things that Christ does. For us to model walking into a party when your brother comes home. Or to be excited when some people who you have hated for a really long time have come to a belief that you didn't even want to share with them. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for our community here. I'm thankful for the chance that we get to share in communion every single week where we remember that Christ's body was, was broken for me. That we remember that Christ's blood was shed for me. And that we try to live from that space. I pray that we would remember that our primary identity is your son or daughter, your child. And I pray we would not primarily think of ourselves as a job we do, that as your son or your daughter, and that changes everything for us. We are thankful for the chance to, to be together and to remember your love and to center ourselves on it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.